So something crazy happened. This happens about once a year here at Waterfront. You can go back and check the tape, okay? I usually start at the top of a passage and work my way down, but every now and again, the Holy Spirit will stir, and there is something that the Lord gives me that you are supposed to hear. And so I don't know who it's for. Last service, there were several that came up and said, I feel like this was for me. Again, you can go back and check the tape. I don't ever do this. Yesterday morning, um, I woke up, and there was a stirring in my spirit. I write my sermons typically, the the, uh, big copy, on Mondays, and so I'd already finished what will be the message for next week. Um, But I felt this stirring in my spirit that I was supposed to start writing something down. And so the message that I'm going to give to you today, usually takes me about six hours on my messages. This took 25 minutes, and it was like a download uh, that God gave me to share with you, and I felt deep urgency uh, that we were supposed to go through this together. And so here's what's weird. Usually, that is a very salvation-driven message, or again, it's life and death. This is so weird. We're going to talk about gratitude today. Uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit stirred me very deeply uh, that a very urgent message for you that breaks with what we've been going through, and again, we do this about once a year, uh, but the Lord had a special message for you for gratitude. I wasn't even going to do it, and then right next to my bedside table, my wife had set down a yellow pad and a pen, just like setting it off to the side, so I woke up and I was like, Lord, I've already written my message, it's Saturday, and then I rolled over and I was like, there's a pad and a pen right there, I have to do something, and so all that to say, uh, we're going to talk about gratitude today. And here's what's interesting. When you study about things that are steeped in theology, things that are so powerful in the truths of scripture, a lot of times it's the most simple answer that you could look for. I think one of the things that pastors, myself included, do a bad job of is sometimes we try to pitch it that the things of God are so big and so powerful and so complicated. Most of the times they're very, very simple. Jesus Christ shed blood is the one sacrifice for all sin. It is a very simple concept that anyone can receive. And here's what's interesting. There are all sorts of things that God can do for us miraculously on the outside, but gratitude, gratitude is something that God has given us that it heals our insides. It heals our spirit. And we're going to walk through today the restoring power of gratitude. So if you got your Bibles, we're going to jump around, start with Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start with verse 11. Uh, It starts today with this question. Have you ever felt like there was an emotional obstacle that you just couldn't get past? You ever felt like there was an emotional obstacle that you just couldn't get past? One time, not too long ago, um, Autumn and I were, uh, were driving with our kiddos, and we were driving kind of through the wooded area in New Jersey, just beautiful. But while we were driving, there was this huge storm, and we heard a crash of lightning, but didn't see it. We just got to hear it. It was so loud. And when we come around the bend on that uh, little highway, we see that a tree has been hit by lightning, and it's burning in the middle of the road. Well, we've got the GPS. We don't know the background roads of New Jersey very well at this point. And so we've got the GPS and we're like, it's saying to go this way, but we can't go that way. There's an obstacle in the middle of the road. And because it's on fire, I can't like lift it and move it. It's right there in the middle of the road. I don't even want to touch it. And we got the kids in the car going like, are we going to die right here, right now? I mean, everything is stirred up. Everything is so intense. Sometimes it feels like there are things in your life, moments where there is an emotional obstacle in your life where you go, Lord, I got to keep moving. I've got to go you've called me to things that are in front of me, but there's a big tree block in the area and I feel like I'm just stunted. I feel like I can't do anything. Sometimes it's a lot of things that add up to one tree. In my life, the trees that have fallen have been when dad passed away, when Jack got his autism diagnosis, 
when I quit with that another job in Wichita Falls, when the pandemic shutdown took place, and for the first time in my life, we couldn't gather together as a church. I'm telling you, those were trees in the road, and I felt so burdened. I felt like my insides were rotting. Did somebody feel that way? I felt like my insides were rotting. I got good news for you today. You ready? Write this down. Christ-centered gratitude is the remedy for all sorts of burdens. Christ-centered gratitude is the remedy for all sorts of burdens. You would be shocked at the power of just being grateful for the things that God has given you. Sometimes we get so blind that we miss it. We live and work in a city where a lot of you, your job is to be critical and analytical, to figure out what the problems are in a government system, in your job situation, and your job is to figure out how to be critical about things so that you can fix them, so that you can make them better. The problem is when you look in the mirror, you start to do the same thing to yourself. You start to do the same thing to your friends and loved ones. You ever been married to somebody who's really good at their job of being critical or analytical? I'm telling you, it's a tough place to be when you share a house with that person. Or maybe you're not even married to them. Maybe they're just your roommate here in this city. And it's difficult. Don't point. I see some of you pointing. Don't point. <laughs> now listen, it's tough. Gratitude. Gratitude is a powerful tool that God can use to heal us. Ify, I always think I'm grateful for you for the way that God brought you and your husband to our church, your sweet daughter. My daughter Lulu talks about your daughter all the time and the friendship that they have. I'm so grateful for you. Just being around you, it fills me with great hope and joy. God brought you here from a complete other part of the world so that you could be a part of Waterfront. My friend Danny Davis, his wife Frances here today. I just think the world of you, dude. My dad discipled Danny back when he was in college and then now I get to serve as his pastor. And his boy over there looking good, all right? <laughs> High class. I'm telling you, and look around the room, and there's so much joy. Dean Lohmeyer, man, your story of endurance, getting to be there for your retirement ceremony, and then seeing the man that you are today. I just am so proud of you, proud of your family. Hannah, known you a long time. We've served in ministry together. I'm telling you, to watch what the Lord's done with you, you are a strategic piece for such a time as this. Queen Esther in so many different ways. Listen to me a good day there's a lot to be thankful for but the enemy stirs and we forget we forget how good God is we forget all the things that he's done and listen to me when we forget what God has done we forget what he can do in the future we forget that he has a great plan for our lives that he has a great plan for the world and we forget that there is hope so I want to look with you real quick. Why do we forget? It's ingrained in our nature. Look at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. It says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border, underline along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village, and ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance, underline stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, underline Master, have pity on us. Underline that word pity that's there as well. Uh, this passage starts off so intense as Jesus is on the road. He's right on the border between Samaria and Israel. And here's what's important about this. Samaria symbolizes those who don't have a biblical background, those who don't know Yahweh. And then you've got on the other side the people of Israel who have a biblical background. And you've got all these people 
people together, lepers from both groups with a skin disease where they are literally, their bodies are literally falling apart right there in front of Jesus and the disciples, and they call out at a distance. Whether we have a church background or not, it's a picture of this room. Lord, have mercy on us. Master, have pity on us. What they're saying is, I am in anguish, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I'm so tired. There are all these emotional and physical obstacles in my life, but Jesus, I believe that you can help me. Look at verse 14. It says, when he saw them, Jesus said, go, show yourselves to the priest. He says, I sense that there's faith in you, but put it to action. Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, the 10 were cleansed. Look at verse 15. But one of them, underline one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him, underline thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. The picture in this passage is that the one without the biblical background, realizing the heaviness of the moment, comes back to Jesus and praising Yahweh, maybe for the first time, cries out and says, man, you saved me. Falling at Jesus' feet, he says, you did this for me, and I am so grateful. Look at what Jesus says, verse 17. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, except this person that didn't grow up with biblical teaching? It says, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. You see, they all received the miracle. It was available to 100%. But 90% were ungrateful. Now, just for the record, they all still got healed. They all still received the miracle. But listen to me. On the inside, that inner healing takes place. That inner redemption takes place when we are grateful, when we show gratitude. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? 90% of the time, gratitude is not where our minds go, even though they absolutely should. Let me say that again. 90% of the time, and we're getting that 90% right there from that story 90% of the time, gratitude is not where our minds go, even though they absolutely should. Without Jesus, you're sunk. Without Jesus, they die of leprosy. Their bodies fall apart. They shrivel up and they die. But with Jesus, there's a miracle. But only one received the inner healing that comes from gratitude. It begs our big million-dollar question today. You ready? What are some emotional obstacles that God can help us overcome through gratitude. What are some emotional obstacles that God can help us overcome through gratitude? There are going to be some of you today that sit here and this message truly was for you. The whole reason that God stirred this was so that you personally could be in here to hear it today. If that's you, I want you to take notes because you're going to sit there and go, it can't be that simple. It absolutely is. God's word is not meant to be complicated. His truths are clear and his truths are simple. Again, what are some emotional obstacles God can help us overcome through gratitude? Number one, first and foremost, you ready? Discontentment. Discontentment. Discontentment, by the way, gives way to greed. It gives way to, again, looking at the other side of the fence. The grass is always greener. And discontentment is something where you can miss out on some of the finest blessings in your entire life because they are literally right under your nose. They are right there with you. Save your spot. Actually, you don't have to save your spot today. Just flip over to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. And let's look at verses 6 and 7. You're going to get to see thankfulness all over these passages of Scripture. 
Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, what? With thanksgiving. Circle, highlight, and underline that. The power is in that little clause that's given here in the middle of this passage. Do not, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now stop right there for just a minute. We focus so heavily on being anxious, being concerned, needing things, having those moments of discontentment and then we focus on the next part of bring it to God by prayer and petition but that little clause those two little words with thanksgiving are what produces the power that comes in the following verse in verse 7 this peace of God that transcends all understanding this idea that God is in control that he's taking care of things that is only able for us to access when we come to God presenting our requests with thanksgiving knowing that he has done things in the past to take care of us Think of it like this. Try to think of it like a situation where you are looking at God saying, Lord, I need, I need, I need. But when you think back and go, you've taken care of me in the past. You've covered me so many times before. Lord, I know that you will cover me into the future as well. The way that you come to him is not in frantic desperation, but in knowing that he will take care of you and you come with expectancy. There's a huge difference in coming with frantic desperation to God and coming with expectancy. God, you know I need and I trust you to provide. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? When you don't know where to begin when tackling a major concern or problem, take the time to dust for God's fingerprints in your life. I said again. When you don't know where to begin when tackling a major concern or problem, Take the time to dust for God's fingerprints in your life. Some of you guys know this. One of my favorite movies, one of my five favorite movies of all time is It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. I absolutely love that movie. And uh, when you watch it, one of the central figures in that movie is his house that he lives in, all right? Remember the house that he lives in? In the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life, you got Jimmy Stewart and uh, the house uh, in the first part of the movie, the house is breaking down, it's falling apart. Uh, he tries, the, it's kind of this moment where he starts to go up the stairs and he grabs the, remember he tries to grab the little stair deal, the, the, uh, the, the, the banister, and when he does, the deal comes off, the ball comes off the top, and you watch him, he just, oh, he just gets angry that banister not being put together is symbolic of how he feels about the whole thing right he just is so frustrated his daughter's sick because she's in the drafty house and he just can't stand it. he's so frustrated with it when he looks at it through the eyes of discontentment that's the worst house ever but when they go back and do the backstory what do you find out you find out that he and his wife had their first date out in front of the house remember when they throw the rocks to break the windows she makes the wish that they could be married that day in front of the house then on the their honeymoon when he has to spend all their honeymoon money to keep the business afloat do you remember they have their first night together as a couple in the old house it's symbolic of all the things that have happened in their lives and then he raises his kids there and then at the end of the movie the miracle the salvation of george bailey of jimmy stewart's character happens in the living room of the old beat-up house don't miss this there's some of you so discontent with the city you live in. You're so discontent in your living situation. You're so discontent with the car you drive or don't drive. You're so discontent with the clothes you wear or don't wear. 
And the truth of the matter is, God has blessed you richly. You live better than 99 out of 100 people in the world. You realize that, don't you? Just because you live in America. You have more stuff than 99 out of 100 people on planet Earth. For crying out loud, we should be grateful. God's given those things to us. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? No one has nothing. What has God given you? No one has nothing. What has God given you? Can I tell you how I know none of you have nothing? And if you're the person who comes in and goes, Zach, I do. I have nothing. Not a single one of you walked in here naked. You realize that? <laughs> Not a single one of you. By the way, I'm from Texas originally. We don't say naked. We say naked. All right? Okay, that's how it goes. That's how you say it. Now listen. Not a single one of you walked in naked today. You got something. You have stuff. It's time that you look back and you remember and here's what's so interesting about discontentment. Discontentment is like a sweater that we put on, and I'm telling you, it's too tight, and it's very uncomfortable, and it's itchy. You ever unraveled a sweater before? You just start pulling on one thread, and then the whole thing starts to come apart. Listen to me. With gratitude, you start with one thing. It can be so small, but you start with one thing, and then before you know it, that itchy sweater is gone, and it's causing you trouble no longer. Be grateful. Allow the God to restore you and redeem you through gratitude. Is that a good word? Allow the Lord to restore you and redeem you through gratitude. Is this your dad? Brother, I want to shake your hand a long time. I got a note from your son in my office. I'm so proud of you. You don't need to hear that from me, but just very... Not worried. That's cool. That's cool. Hey, holy moment. Holy moment. There, there it is. There it is. There it is. Moving on. That's another story for another day, Davis. <laughs> Moving on. You ready? What are some emotional obstacles God can help us overcome through gratitude? Discontentment, number one. You ready for number two? Worry and fear. Write them down. Worry and fear. Now, some of you say those are two things, Pastor. They're cousins, and so we're going to put them together, all right? <laughs> Worry and fear. They're very different, but they, in many cases, are, re- are very much the same. And gratitude combats those as well. Are you ready to figure out how? Now flip over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. This is so interesting. I can tell you for me personally, the time of pandemic, these verses really spoke to me powerfully. Look at 1 Timothy 6, verses 20 and 21. It says, Timothy, this is Paul writing, guard what has been entrusted to your care. And look at this. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas, look at this, of what is falsely called knowledge. Circle, highlight, and underline what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have wandered from the faith. That's the very last thing that Paul writes to Timothy at the end of his letter in 1 Timothy. He looks at him and says, you've got all this chatter going on around you. He says, make sure you don't treat it like knowledge. Don't treat the commentary with the same weight as you treat the scripture itself, the word of Almighty God. No better example of this than watching TBS during the NBA playoffs, all right? You watch the NBA playoffs, anybody watching basketball right now? There's a few of us out there, Sam. There's a few of us. I love it on TBS because you got Ernie Johnson as the commentator, but you have got Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, and Shaq. And I'm telling you, what I love about it is when you watch the pregame, they all know exactly who's going 
going to win. They all know exactly how it's going to go. They all know exactly what's going to happen. And then when you watch the post game afterwards, you know how it went. You know how it was going to go. And there was definitely truth. And the things that were said beforehand, most of the times, do not measure up in any way, shape, or form. Listen to me. It's chatter. Now, there's nothing wrong with commentary and chatter. It makes for great television. Y'all been watching Shaq do his impersonation of the hawk? You watch a seven-foot-two man do this, and he goes, ah! I mean, it's great to watch. Hawks fifth seed. I mean, they had no chance to make it. Shaq picked them, and so it's just been great watching all that stuff. Don't miss this. The commentary is just chatter. It's just commentary. It's not the truth. And here's what happened for me during the pandemic. Because we were so isolated, because we were not gathering together, I would turn on the TV first thing in the morning, or I'd roll over and get my cell phone, and the very first thing I would do when I started off my day was check my four news sites to see what was going on, check my inbox to see what had come in, what was happening, if anybody was in trouble, if anybody was hurting, scroll Facebook because it pops on a second, just knows you're awake somehow because of a microchip in you somewhere. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I mean, whatever it is, right? <laughs> Facebook somehow knows the second you wake up, and I'm telling you, you start going through, and here's the deal. By the time I got to open God's word, I had already decided that the world was falling apart. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't treat godless chatter like it's knowledge, like it's truth. Can I tell you what I finally had to start doing? I finally had to start sleeping with my Bible right next to my bed. And then first thing in the morning, I would turn over and pick it up so that I could start my day on the foundation of Scripture. You see, God has already written the story, and he's already won. On the days when we get so worked up, we can be grateful for that, that no matter how deep, dark, and difficult this world becomes, our God is making all things new. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? When we move away from being thankful for the truth in God's word, fear and worry become our neighbors. Let me say that again. When we move away from being thankful for the truth in God's word, fear and worry become our neighbors. I'll never forget... For me, one of the darkest stretches during the pandemic happened the big night of the riots. It was a Saturday night, and you got to remember, it's June. It's around this time of year. It's June. We have not met as a church for over three months and gathered in person for services. And I'm telling you, everything is so brutal. Everything's so charged. We're just sitting there, and you're sitting there going, I know there's a right thing to do. Something I'll look back that was right, and something I'll look back that was wrong, that I should have done or shouldn't have done. And you're sitting there begging God for wisdom and insight while we watched portions of the city be destroyed and burned. And I remember I was so deep into the darkness, and it's Sunday morning when I should be getting ready to preach. And it's Sunday morning, and legally we can't gather. And I remember it was 6.30 in the morning. We'd stayed up all night watching the news, went to bed about 4. And I remember at 6.30, the Spirit woke me up and said, drive to downtown. And I was in the darkness. I was in the discouragement, the worry, and the fear. And I remember I drove in, and there were hardly any cars. There were just police cars. And then there were street sweepers. I remember there were street sweepers driving around. And I remember I pulled up 6.30 in the morning, and I'm right by the White House, and I remember there's this woman, older African-American woman in her 70s. And I remember she's got her hands lifted to heaven. And I can see her praying and prayer walking. I can read her lips as she's prayer walking as she walks around the area where carnage had taken place the night before. I just began to weep. 
the fear and the worry when compared to the truth of Scripture. Is anyone anxious? He should pray with thanksgiving. All of a sudden, it changed my eyes. It changed what I was seeing. I began to look around. Some of you will remember this. There were these different people, construction individuals, who came out of the woodwork on that Sunday and Monday, and they rebuilt facades to the front of the buildings in no time flat so that they could have doorways and, again, have places where the broken windows were covered up. They were sweeping up the glass on the side, and I remember I began to weep because what had started off as worry and hopelessness, all of a sudden, it had turned into realizing God was at work. God was still on his throne and just because we were seeing it on that box in our living room or on that little box in my palm that didn't mean that God was any less in charge it begs the question are you ready for this are you treating chatter like it's knowledge are you treating chatter like it's knowledge it's not wrong to look at the websites it's not wrong to check the news data but listen to me build your day on the foundation of God's word amen Start with the foundation and then go from there to check the inbox. Go from there to check the websites. Go from there to read the paper. Are you treating chatter like it's knowledge? Because last time I checked, they're still playing those Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals games. It's not determined on what Charles Barkley has to say of whether or not they win or lose. Is that a good word, Josh? There you go. Moving on. You ready for number three? What are some of the emotional obstacles God can help us overcome through gratitude? Number one, discontentment. Number two, fear and worry. And number three, you ready for this one? Loneliness. Loneliness. One of the best ways to combat loneliness is through gratitude, is through being grateful. Some of you would say, that's great, Zach, but I moved to this city and I'm all alone. Or that's great, Zach, but my loved ones have passed away. My mentors have passed away. There's not a single one of you around this room that got to this point all by yourself, all right? Not a single one of you. There have been so many people that had to pour into you for this moment right here, right now, to be possible. God has given you so many people, but the devil whispers in your ear that you are all alone. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. Look with me, if you will, at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians 1, and let's look at verses 3 through 6. Paul, by the way, is writing this when he and Timothy are off on a missionary journey. Here's what he has to say. Paul is all alone with a new group of people. And here's what he says to the church at Philippi that he loves so dearly. He says, verse 3, I thank my God, underline thank, every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find here from Paul is he says, when I go through that time of difficulty, those moments of loneliness where I feel so far away from home, so far away from those that I love, he says, I remember you. I thank God that you are in existence and I thank God that he's working in your life from the first day until now. Underline the first day until now because the idea there is that God is on his throne pouring into you from your past in your present and he will continue to pour into you into the future as well. So that's why we have this weird little table, all right? <laughs> I got knickknacks all over my office and they symbolize people in my life that have poured into me. I love you guys so dearly, but there are times where even I get lonely 
And the pandemic was one where I got real lonely, real isolated. I'm a sanguine, all right? I'm a people person. And I got real lonely and isolated. In my office, I got these different little deals. First one, check this out. My daughter Lulu drew this for me, and I hate leaving her every time. She drew me in a plaid shirt, real skinny, which I appreciate. (laughs) And of course, my go-to capri pants. All right, there you go. I'm just kidding. (laughs) When I look at this, I'm reminded and I'm grateful every time. I thank God for that sweet girl. I think of how the Lord allowed me to lead her to Christ, to baptize her. I think of all the things that God has in store for her in the future. And I don't feel alone. This is a mug from one of my five best friends in the whole world, a guy named Nolan Frederick. Nolan came to Waterfront saw what the Lord was doing through us, and then he came up and said, you know, I think God may be calling me to plant a church too. Nolan planted a church in his hometown, Artesia, New Mexico, and they just bought 42 acres of land. He's a way better pastor than I am, all right? (laughs) Nolan's getting to pastor a great church. On some of the darkest days of my whole life, he was there for me. This is what holds my pins in my office, and it sits right next to my desk. I'm reminded that Nolan is doing work on the other side of the country and that he who started the work will be faithful to complete it. I would love a world where I could sit with him every day and when we get to heaven, we will get to. But for now, when I think of him and see this mug, I don't feel lonely. Inside that mug is a light. This will look familiar to some of you. The very first service we did in the tire shop. You remember that, Efi? You remember? Let's see if it still works. Nope. When there was no power in this room, we had just rented the tire shop. So much work that had to be done to it. This place was beat up. And the very first night, I stood right here, and because we didn't have any electricity, we gave everybody one of these little flashlights, and there were about 100 of us in here, and we took the flashlights, and do you remember? We pointed them at the walls. We prayed for each of the walls. We prayed for the ceiling. We prayed for the floor. In fact, I think it was Josiah Mertz who told us, hey, we ought to pray for the ceiling. We ought to pray for, we'd prayed for the walls, but he said, we ought to pray for the ceiling, pray for the floor. When I see this, I think of you. I think of the promise that God made that even after my time on this earth is done, I pray that God would still use this place for his kingdom. When I see that, I remember and I'm thankful. The owl. This was in my dad's office. But the reason that the owl was important was because the church that we were at before moving to D.C., Victory Life in Lubbock, had a big field that they were about to turn into a parking lot. And one day when my dad and I were working together, it was in that last little stretch, all of a sudden, uh, a guy busts in who claimed to be the game warden, and he goes, stop the bulldozers. You have an endangered species in that field. And we didn't know if he was joking or not. I mean, who just does that, right? He busts in, stop the bulldozers. There's an endangered species. We're like, what is it? So dad walks outside, and sure enough, there was a burrow owl that had chose to make his hole in the middle of the field. And so by law, you cannot do anything to the field until the burrow owl vacates, and usually it's six months before the burrow owl vacates. So of course, they started giving my dad all this owl stuff, and any time the church had a mascot they had to choose, they were always the victory owls. And so anyway, this was in his office. Anytime I look at it, I'm reminded of him, I'm reminded of our friends in Lubbock, 
the ones that pushed so that we could come here. And then we got the football. I am a Dallas Cowboys fan. There you go. Amen. There it is. <laughs> this was signed by Larry Brown and Nate Newton, but it was given to me by a guy named Cleo Andrews. Cleo was my very, very best friend. We were fullbacks together in high school. Cleo is now the youth minister at a church, or associate pastor, he just got promoted, at a church in Abilene, Texas. He lived with my family for two years. Cleo was the first in his family's history to graduate from college, and now he's had other siblings that have done the same. He blazed the trail. Cleo and I, the Lord used us to do some pretty cool things. We were just kids. We got to witness to a bunch of our teammates. I've been a little bit emotional. Um, we found out yesterday that one of the guys, the middle linebacker for our team, he was by far the best player on our team named Tony Perez. Uh, he was leading an oil field group, and he got hit on the highway. Somebody ran a stop sign at 4 o'clock in the morning, hit him and his crew, and, and he died in a car accident um, this week. So uh, Cleo and I, one day... Um, Tony had gone to the hospital for another thing. They, he and his cousin Paul had gotten hurt. And it was one of the first times I've ever visited anybody in the hospital. We went to visit Tony and Paul. And um, Cleo and I both felt like beforehand that we were supposed to share Christ with them, give him an opportunity to be saved. And when we were all 15 years old, praise God, right there in that hospital bed at University Medical Center in Lubbock, Texas, I got to pray with Tony to receive Christ all those years ago. And even though I miss my brother, even though I miss him, I'm so grateful and thankful for that day. So grateful and thankful for what God did and what he will do for his family. He even reached out at a different point and said his life was different because of that day. So what we got to do when we go through those days of difficulty, when the devil whispers in your ears so wickedly and falsely that you're all alone, walk amongst the flock. Remember that you are not alone. Remember that there were so many people who had to pour into you. And then tug on that, tug on that thread and allow the sweater to unfold, unravel. If you're taking notes, write this down. Are you ready? A little question for you. No one has no one. Who has God given you, past or present? No one has no one. Who has God given you, past or present? And if you're the one today saying, Zach, I truly have no one, you at least had someone at some point, think back about that person and be grateful. The same way God gave you someone before, he will give you someone into the future as well. And then one last deal, and we'll call it a day today. I told you this was a weird one. It didn't even have three points. It had four, all right? What are some emotional obstacles that God can help us overcome through gratitude? Number one is discontentment. Number two, worry and fear. Number three, loneliness. And number four, probably the worst one, is hopelessness. Hopelessness. We put on your shirts, never hopeless, because we wanted you to remember so many times during the pandemic, it can seem like everything has fallen apart. But the truth is, because we have Jesus Christ, we are never hopeless. I want to show you why. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's look at verses 57 and 58. You ready for this? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 and 58. Here's what it says. Paul writes, But thanks be to God. Look at this. 
He gives us the victory. Underline, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stop right there for just a minute. Thanks be to God. I can offer up thanks. Why? Because God has given us the victory. Not we have the victory to win. Not we got a long way to go. Not we're started off, but it looks like it's going in the right direction. No, it says that God has won the victory and he gives it to us freely. There's nothing you have to do to earn it. There's nothing that you have to do to achieve it. There's nothing that we're hoping that the dice come up seven a couple of times in a row in order for eternity to be set. It belongs to God and he gives it to you. And we've got to be thankful for that. If you're taking notes, write this down. All good things come from God. So for all good things, we should go to God. Let me say that again. All good things come from God. So for all good things, we should go to God. Sometimes the enemy gets us so squashed and we get down in a ball and we just go, Lord, this world is so hard. It's so difficult. I feel like I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Why does the enemy want you curled up into a ball? Because if any of your senses start to perk up, you will begin to notice with your hands, with your eyes, with your smell, with your mouth, all the good things that God has done. His fingerprints are all over this world that we live in. But if he can get us into that ball, if he can get us curled up, if he can get us to block our senses and just listen to the wickedness that he spews on us moment by moment, day by day, then all of a sudden we get trapped and we miss the truth that God has already won. He gives us the victory and he gives it to us through Jesus. Last little illustration and we'll close. I love that movie Lord of the Rings, okay? And by the way, some of you are like, Zach, you have a pattern to your sermons. You tell personal stories and movies, all right? It's true, right? It's what I, pretty much all I do, all right? Remember Lord of the Rings? The scene of hopelessness is the scene where they're trying to decide what to do with the ring. They should be happy. They got the ring, and they got a shot at finishing the thing off, right? But instead, they come up and set the ring in the middle of the table, and everybody begins to fight, and it starts to drift into hopelessness. And you can hear the Sauron voice in the background going, ha, 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 like this laughter. It's just like the devil, right? Ha, 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 right? This moment that actually has the devil scared to death, as Sauron scared to death, they have the ring in their possession, and they're going on the offensive. All this turmoil, all this hopelessness, this cloud of darkness, ha, 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 ha. And you remember, all of a sudden, the little hobbit Frodo walks up. He's the one who has nothing to gain. He cannot be the one who's in power at this point. Nobody in Middle Earth is going to trust him as the one who's in charge. So he walks up and says, I'll do it. I'll take the ring to Mordor. I'll do it. I'll be the one. And then do you remember? He goes, but I don't know the way. Can you just point me in the right direction? I'm willing to help. I can't do this on my own, but I have hope that this has happened for a reason. And do you remember Gandalf, the intellectual, all of a sudden his face softens and you watch it. He looks at him and then all of a sudden what had been such darkness, what had been each person fighting for their own way, all of a sudden Gandalf goes, you know, it's not so bad. And you know what? You can have my staff. All of a sudden then Aragorn comes up, the one who will be king. He goes, you know what? And you can have my sword. 
sword, Legolas, the sharpshooter. You can have my bow. Boromir doesn't say anything at that point, but he shows up on the journey as well. And then you got Gimli the elf who says, and you can have my axe. Do you remember? And all of a sudden, it turns into the movie for the billboards. They go up and they go, look, nine companions. And there they are, taking their group photo for all time. Now listen. It's a silly example, but I hope it sticks with you. How do you go from, oh, there's no hope, it's not going to work, to all of a sudden you come to realization, God's given us everything we need. He's given him a sword. He's given her an axe. He's given him a bow. He's given her a willing heart. And then all of a sudden, you've got companions that are going on a journey that will be told for eternity. We are never hopeless because God already won the battle. It's done. We just have to walk the path. It begs the final question. Are you ready? No one who calls out to Jesus will be turned away. Do you have Jesus? No one who calls out to Jesus will be turned away. Do you have Jesus? If you do, you have hope. I don't know who that was for today, guys. That sermon came together in 25 minutes yesterday morning. It was like a download. just came straight down. And I'm telling you, there's some of you here, maybe it was life and death for you to hear that today. Allow him to restore your insides. Thanks for listening. Let's pray.